Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Great Scott Show Friday edition from the ESPN Lafayette studio, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Every day at Bet Rivers Sportsbook, Louisiana, you'll find specials, daily boosted odds, parlays of the day, and more. Download the Bet Rivers Sportsbook app, the best Louisiana sports betting bet, sports betting experience. Learn more at betrivers.com. We're going to learn more in this next segment here, the Pro Nola segment with our guy, Gus Cattengill, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Gus, um, you know, obviously we, we talk a lot of Saints and Pels when you're on. I know that, um, you know, you and I talk college baseball a little bit. Season starting today. Folks are excited in Baton Rouge. Folks are excited in New Orleans. Certainly folks are excited here in Lafayette and Cajun country. Matt Deggs' squad getting underway tonight against the 14th-ranked UC Irvine Anteaters. Uh, college baseball, you tried out for a, a, a AAA team, which we've talked about in the past. And folks, if they don't know the backstory, maybe we'll revisit it one day. But uh, are you are you a little excited, a little buzz around college baseball, or are you not quite there yet? No, man, I always am, to be honest with you. And you and I have talked about this in the past, but I think this state has unbelievable baseball, dude. And you can kind of play it pretty much year-round at a lower level. And, you know, I've had several people that kind of start at the youth level, four or five years old, all the way on, you know, academies or what have you getting kids playing baseball at a very early age, so I'm not surprised, man. It's crazy to see just how good it is. And, you know, I've talked about this, but I think it's incredible to have the amount of schools that are either regional schools or can compete because, Scott, you and I have talked about this throughout the season. There are certain schools, the LSU, about national championships winning in the SEC, you get that. But then you look around the lake, towards the South Shore, your part, even North Louisiana, you know, even in Baton Rouge, other than LSU, Southern and stuff, that these are either really battling the regional spots, battling the host regional spots, or, you know, being the mix for conference championships. So I love it because what it does, Scott, is it makes midweek games interesting for a lot of schools, you know, and again, I understand, you know, for LSU and some other schools, you're just trying to Johnny Holstaff it and get to, you know, the weekend, but I think increasingly the last couple of seasons, and talking to head coaches, I feel like Sunday starters have become more important for a lot of schools, and I talked to Blake Dean at UNL, you almost have to have that Tuesday guy that can at least get you three, four innings to get started to try to get you that win against a ranked team or something. So I love it because you have different levels within the state, yet at the same time you have a whole handful of teams got that I think can get into postseason play. So it, it literally makes non-conference and conference action something you got to keep an eye on. Yeah, man. Um, college baseball in the South and then – you know, over in California, if if for folks that are into it, you get some good ball. But particularly here in the state of Louisiana, as you said, across the state, uh, you have guys drafted every year. You have teams in the regionals, in the tournament every single year. And uh, there's just something about being at the ballpark, man. I, I don't know. There is, um, there is uh, better words, a magic to it. I don't know. I, I know it's cheesy, but there's just something about baseball and, and being in person and being at the ballpark – 
it's hard. You can't you can't recreate it. You know, I know folks talk a lot about MLB and TV ratings and everything like that, and that's all. It's who knows. I mean, who knows when MLB is even going to play this year? I mean, pitchers and catchers would have reported earlier this week, and it didn't happen. Is there in a, a a labor dispute? But I don't know. There's there's nothing quite like being at the ballpark, you know. There really isn't. Obviously, when you look at the game experience, too, man. You know, I don't mean this in a negative way. It's just kind of reality. Got to to the point where. Not many places, man, you can go and not drop a Benjamin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you can still go to college baseball games, have the sights and smells, popcorn, peanuts, nachos, you know, and, and enjoy yourself. And I think college baseball programs really in the last couple of years have done a great job of making a family atmosphere. You have certain days of the week where kids get in the bases, you know, a lot of the tall parts that kind of adjusted to having play areas, you know, dog days, and just all kinds of different things that I think make it a real family experience, man. And, you know, when you compare it to either football or just pro sports, I think it's uh, easily one of the best partners around. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Uh, if you have your ticket, we'll see you out tonight over at uh, Russo Park at ML Tigmore Field, 6 o'clock first pitch, Louisiana versus UC. Irvine. All right, Gus, let's talk some Saints for a moment. Pete Carmichael is the offensive coordinator. We learned that, I guess, late Wednesday night. What do you make of this situation? I mean, it, it, I think if it, if this is like not news like this week, but was news last week when Dennis Allen was promoted and they decided he was going to be their head coach, if it was, yeah, Pete Carmichael will be the OC. I mean, he's already the OC. You know, he's sticking around. If he had left altogether and they did a search, I think, well, they would have hired someone else. Kind of the way it was a little confounding, I guess, from the outside, right? It was, well, he's going to stay, but he's probably not going to be the OC. Then, okay, he's 50. He's been the OC for, you know, over 11 years, and he called plays in 2012. I, what's going on? He doesn't want the OC job, but he wants the what's – so then they go and interview people, and then ultimately they just – some people look at it as a positive. Others are saying the sky is falling. I just look at it from the outside of it. It's somewhat confounding just because it's a little different. What do you make of, of Pete Carmichael as still the OC, but kind of rehired as the OC in a weird way? I think you kind of broke it down the best way you can. I think it's the, the journey to that point that Makes it confusing, right? I think we sat here and so one of the reasons and one of the things that I think made Dennis Allen favorite is what continuity, keeping the staff together, kind of running with what you had based on the personnel you had, etc. And you and I have said, hey, you elevate Ryan Nielsen, or Chris Richard to defensive coordinator. You move up to Carmichael to OC, you know, start start practicing, right? I mean, that's kind of what we all kept saying after Sean retired. So I think, to your point, if that's how it would have been done immediately, I don't think anybody said anything, but that's kind of the reason why everybody thought he was a favorite. I think it's the appearance that you did on 
this massive surge and brought in as many people that didn't get people kind of thinking and looking at, oh, maybe they're looking at a different direction. Maybe seeing the moves being made, acquisitions on the offensive side of the ball that kind of gets you thinking, all right, well, maybe you weren't happy with the way the offense had been running in New Orleans. So, look, it makes sense in that for the majority of the personnel that you have, you have a guy that understands it. It's probably easier to go with an offensive scheme that the majority offensively knows. And again, I think one of the reasons that Dennis Allen is a fit that I argued for was just that, right? This isn't the Giants or other teams looking for identity trying to find what you have. Man, COVID and injuries kept the safety playoffs. So you essentially have a playoff team. So it doesn't make sense to kind of just reinvent the wheel and start from scratch. So you essentially have a team that I think smartly you could probably just start practice again and, and get moving. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. So, my only argument would be like, you, you still, like, the offense, obviously, you have to improve the personnel because, yeah, they, they were close to being a playoff team last year and there were a lot of injuries, but the offense was still mm-hmm. terrible. You know, I think it was no, 100% because, of, because of Sean Payton, it was like, well, he's doing a masterful job because we had a long track right. record of him doing well. And so it was more about him overcoming odds as opposed to. You know, it's still really bad, you know. Um, so can Carmichael – like, look, in 2012, the defense was historically bad and the offense was great, but it also had great personnel. Like, what what is he going to do as the play caller with, you know, what uh, the odds have Jameis Winston as the likely guy to be the QB next year? And we talked about this on your show this week. I think, I think all signs are pointing to that. Um, but you know, do you get Michael Thomas back? And we'll talk about him in a minute. Like, I don't, I don't really have an issue with Carmichael as the OC. It just, some people looked at it as, oh, it was just the Saints being thorough. I get being thorough if you're looking for the head coach, absolutely. But if you're a, a guy that's promoted to be the head coach, and you've been on the staff with Carmichael for multiple, many years on on two different stints, two different occasions. You would think he would already kind of know. I, I don't know. The, it, it, it was somewhat strange at the end of the day. You know what? They just have to improve more than anything if, if Carmichael's going to have any kind of success. I think there's three things there, right? So what I wanted to finish with was what you kind of started with. I think an absolutely point what you're thinking at quarterback then, right? Because if you're thinking about bringing in somebody you either don't know or just a quarterback, then that probably doesn't make sense. But when I saw that Wednesday night, I'm like, I will do this. That's what I thought immediately. When you saw him, when you get into it, he said, Michael Thomas, kind of him and Stevie Booth becoming BFFs. Yeah, that was funny. You know, last that was funny. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get to that in a sec. But look, I think it does point to Jameis. And, you know, like, again, you have a lot of those young receivers that kind of already know the scheme. Do you want to risk? bringing somebody in that shows different aspects of it. If you decide to go RPO and do different packages in case some this guy's already done it. So look, and I also think Scott 
we can't be oblivious to the situation that's going on right now. And you have to be thorough. You have to interview several people. And it does a number of things. It shows that you are being thorough. I also think it also gets different people's opinions on your personnel. I said that even in the head coaching search. It may not be a bad thing if somebody's crossing you that you know you weren't expecting, Scott, and say how your radio show is going. You know what's good, what's not. Uh, not a friend, somebody that say wants to be a program director. So he's been listening on how to improve it, or he's been listening as to what's good and what's something that can grow. And I think that's possibly too. When you look at the coordinators that they that they interviewed for AC, you have a guy that you know kind of an RPO mastermind in Montgomery. You have a guy in Jake Rudin that's been a multi-team offensive coordinator with a multitude of quarterbacks. Um, so it makes sense to kind of pick their brains, you know? Hey, so let me ask you if Taysom's a quarterback. How would you? Hey, let me ask you. You know, James is a quarterback. How would you? Hey, say that Corral falls to us. Instead of him, how would you use him? And I, I wonder if that's not what they did, man. You're, you're right. I mean, it, it's sort of like if a position opened up in my place or your place, Scott, and there was an opportunity to bring each other on board and make that place stronger. I already know, right? Do I have to interview you? I mean, I already know. I mean, if I'm calling you, I'm already thinking, I've already worked with you, I, I already know kind of what you bring. So, now... Part of that interview process with him, too, is, you know, do you want to take that responsibility of being the sole play caller and things of that nature? You know, and again, we haven't really heard anything from Dennis Allen specifically. It's always reports, right? It's reports that he didn't want to be the OC. It's going to stick around. It, it could be that that report was mixed in with, hey, this guy's going to make a ton of changes, but even repeat Parma. And there was a ton of changes, right? I mean, whole line coach, receivers coach. So maybe that's how that report was said by a source. It was taken as well. It might even include Pete Carmichael. It could have been all along, hey, Pete, we see what's out there. Do you want to do it or not? Maybe he wants to do it. Maybe he looked around and said, you know, maybe he's the best guy. Maybe he didn't intend to. And they went down the hallway and said, you know, at the end of the day, you're better than all these guys. You know, why don't you do it? No, by the way, they said this is how to reduce some of our personnel. What do you think of that? So, I think at the end of the day, it boils down to this for me. It's why you hired Dennis Allen. Why you hired Dennis Allen? Familiarity with the scheme. Familiarity with the system. Familiarity with the same way. Familiarity with the staff. Why you went with it. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Kangel, our guest, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. This is the Great Scott Show. You're listening to us via the ESPN Lafayette stream, whether it be on the app, mobile device, connect the cars and on smart speakers. That is brought to you by Champagne's Market and the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Gus, let's um, let's let's talk about uh, uh, Michael Thomas for a moment. Ian Rappaport had the, the the story, I guess, last weekend about 
Tom is finally being back in New Orleans and being in a good place, and he and the team are moving forward, and they have no intention in trading him. And, and all that was good, I guess. What stuck out to me was that he had to go to New York for a while to get more procedures, more rehab, more work done on the ankle. And, you know, it, it, it shows you how disastrous that injury was. I mean, we're going on the start of the injury all the way back to what? Like week one of the 2020 season, and here we are, and you're through the 2021 season, and they desperately need him in the offense. And he's scrubbing Instagram and putting one post up, and it's a Kobe Bryant video about demon mode and work, and him and C.D. Deuce are exchanging pleasantries on Twitter about getting together and working their tails off. And for folks that need a quick refresher, Michael Thomas once punched C.D. Deuce during a practice, and Thomas was suspended by the team, and everybody on the team CD Deuce is back, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and not Thomas is back. It was very telling for a number of reasons. But, you know, what do you make of Thomas? Um, because when it comes to this cat, whenever he speaks to the media, he doesn't really say much. He sometimes gets upset and just cuts it off. He does a lot of his talking just on social media. And since he hadn't done much talking on the field, since he hasn't really played, uh, what what is your take on Rappaport's report and really Thomas's future with the Saints. Are they going to get that guy, the Thomas that still holds the NFL record for most receptions in a single season? Are they going to get that guy back next season? Or is it going to be a different version of Thomas? What are your thoughts? Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. You can hope for him to be the player he was, but man, it's what I've been telling you. He steps on the field and was that first play of the season? You're basically looking at three seasons since he broke up. Which he shouldn't have been on the field in the first place. What was Sean Payton doing? Stupid to have him out there late in the game. They've already won, trying to run up the score. Petty. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, a. How about he doesn't have to know what it, and actually bought to get out the way. He got rolled up on. I mean, that's nothing you can do about that. A and B. You have your guys on the field. So I don't blame that at all. But, you know, you look at it from this perspective, it's up to him, right? Whether it's his attitude, whether it's his desire, it is all up to him. Now, if you listen to Drew, he said his work ethic solid, tries to work at the quarterback, and I even brought it up on our show. I mean, the guy had two games where he's had 11 receptions and taking the left. And I don't think it takes him as the surveyor of the field, accurate, back shoulder genius quarterback. So if I can get 11 balls from that guy, then he's the reason he broke records, right? But what I've been saying since the last two years, you know, you're kind of stuck. Both sides are stuck with each other right now. And it's similar to Zion in the Palace. One needs to play if he wants to leave, and the other needs him to play if they want to get better and then shift. No matter how you look at it, both sides need that player to play. The Saints need him. Makes the receiving court better. Whoever your quarterback is will be better. It immediately helps you by putting him on the field. Period. He does. For him, he ain't getting a second contract. He ain't going wherever he wants to go if he can't show that he can stay on the field. So he has to come out. He has to show he's about the team. 
He has to show that he works hard. He has to show that he's healthy. And more importantly, he has to show he can produce. And that's the only way you can get back on field. I mean, Edel Beckham Jr., very similar situation in that that production was hit with injuries. He eventually had to at least get on the field. And by getting on the field at Cleveland, you know, you had media and everybody pulling together, you know, video clips of Baker not throwing to him and stuff like that. But at least he was on the field and it showed, hey, this guy can still run routes. This guy can still catch the ball. He's just not getting thrown the ball. But he had to get back on the field, right? So the same thing with Michael Thomas. Got to get back on the field. Got to show it can be productive. And, and then we can move on. One way to show it perform, right? He can make more money, get a big contract, go down as one of the best in history in this, in this uh, organization. If he wants to go somewhere else, then you have value. I mean, the same thing I tell our callers that every single day, trade Zion. I'm like, what are you getting for? I mean, he's you, you have to wait to try to get some value. You cannot ship a guy right now that's not playing. So I get everybody has a feeling toward him uh, in the city, and it's not created by media like he and others have claimed or him. I mean, like he said, Scott, he hasn't endeared himself to the NFL, much less the, the fan base, you know I mean? This is a guy that wakes up in the morning offended by everybody. So well, well, it, it that works whenever you're winning and doing great stuff. And they loved him whenever he was winning and doing great stuff. They're like, yeah, he has a chip on his shoulder. Well, when he's struggling, he has a chip on his shoulder uh, to you as well. So now you don't like it as much, you know. They're just they're, I, I obviously if he can return, and it's a big if, but it's a huge if. If he can return to just uh, the form that. You talk about what the Saints need to do this offseason, and, and there's already been major changes. And fans always have these dreams, and you know, a lot of times the offseason does not play out the best or the way that fans would hope it would because they're usually looking behind door A, which is all the best-case scenarios. And that's just not how it happens. If Michael Thomas comes back from his ankle injury that has limited him for two years and, and, and is back to at least the player he was – it will be the biggest addition to the Saints next season. Like, that's that's how big it potentially can be. Because you go from having just nothing in the receiving core outside of, you know, a guy that should be a number three or four in Callaway and, and a guy in Harris that's good at stretching the field, a bit undersized, but, like, again, not not a number one receiver, right? You go from that being, you know, the, 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 top, the, the top of the crop in your receiving core to – Oh, you got an all-pro and an NFL record holder, and prior to two years ago, a guy that was on pace to be a sure ballot Hall of Famer. You get that guy back, of all the changes this Saints offseason, and they're still going to go through a lot more, Gus, that's going to be the biggest addition. If he doesn't come back healthy, if he comes back and he and he re-injures it, or he's mad and he's fighting and he's upset, then it's going to be a disaster. Like, honestly, it will be, to me, and, and this is a lot of people would say this is a hot take. I don't think so. The biggest aspect of next season in terms of the Saints' success or fail rate is going to have to do with number 13 and whether or not he's the number 13 from 2017, 2018, 2019 or the number 13 of the last two years. And if it's the last two years, the Saints are going to struggle. And if it's the guy prior to that, you could say, oh, one player doesn't make all the difference. I know it doesn't, especially when it's not the quarterback. 
but the gap between what the Saints have at receiver right now and what he is whenever he is on is so wide. It's so wide that when you throw it in there, it's so much, man. And I, I think the biggest part of this offseason in terms of the Saints and whether they're going to be you know, good or bad next year, the thing at the top of the list to me is Michael Thomas. And, and some say that I'm overstating it or I'm exaggerating or it's hyperbole. That's just how I feel, Gus. I feel it's that important and it's that make or break. Well, to your point, I think the best way to look at it is sort of like this, like I will say to people. You, know, you take away your personal feelings and just look at it from what you just saw this season, right? So if I say Devontae Adams, if I mention Cooper Cup, if I mention, you know, Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins when he was healthy. I mean, the Cardinals' yeah. receiving core was totally saying, different when he like, left. Yeah, I'm just picking guys right now sure. that we saw this past season. Yeah, um, the Stephon Diggs, like guys that change the game, can score a touchdown, and are guys that when you put on a game on a Sunday and watch, you go, "Wow, top three, top five receiver, right?" Okay, well, that's Michael Thomas. I mean, to your point, I mean, that's that's who he is. That's I me. Mean, <laughs> He is Devontae Adams. He is one of those guys. I mean, he is one of those players that can get open when you need him to get open. He is one of those guys that can do that. Now, you know, sure, the similarity, I mean, the difference is, I mean, he's not the guy that can catch and run. He's not Jamar Chase. I, I call Jamar Chase Michael Thomas' speed, right? He's a guy that has an open, can run good routes, good hands, but he can catch a three, four-yard pass or slant and, and take it to distance. Michael Thomas can't do that. He hadn't done that. But doesn't mean he's still not great. Elevate completely everybody else around him to where, you know, Todd McShay back on on Wednesday came out with his 3.0 and he specifically said that I know this probably excited you. Tackle and receivers. Tackles the defense the defense position group. Tackle excites me. Talented yeah. is well, receiver, and guess what the Saints need? Tackle and receiver. So, at 18, 15, 14, if you want to move up, stay at 18, I think the Saints are going to have options to get a decent tackle because I don't think Teron Armstead is staying. I mean, you're already seeing the rounds on Pro Football Focus and other social media platforms. Teron Armstead photoshopping a Bengals jersey. I mean, if you're thinking, you know you're offering him money. And if you're the Saints, via up yours. You know, thanks for the memories. Good luck. And, uh, and hopefully you stay healthy for Joe Burrow. And I think it's a great fit for everybody. But the Saints are going to have an opportunity to draft a good tackle. ESPN. Right, or put him at left. So, and then you, you can get a receiver as well. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott. That is Gus Kattengill. We're going to take a break, come back. All-Star break has hit. NBA All-Star game is um, coming up this week. The Pelicans, where do they stand now at the All-Star break? What does the future entail? What's happening with Zion? There are two um, very, you know, two reports that are extremely different in terms of who's hearing what. We'll get into that. And uh, as we said, college baseball starting tonight. We talked a little bit about it. Louisiana Raging Cajuns taking on UC Irvine and Eaters tonight over in our sibling station, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Drew Shiflett. The right-hander will go tonight. Peyton Havard will go tomorrow. And Jeff Wilson on Sunday. Those of you starters expect to see a lot of different pitchers, though. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
The Pro Nola segment continues on the great Scott show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the great Scott show on a Friday. Scott Prather here with you with my guy, Gus Nola's segment. We talk Saints. We talk a little college baseball. Time to talk a little Pels. I'll hit on last night's game against Dallas in a little bit, but I want to talk to Gus more about sort of where this team is at this point in the season. And, you know, Gus, if we had talked before the season about where the team would be come All-Star break, I think we would have all agreed they'd be playing better than they were at the beginning of the season. We certainly couldn't have seen what would unfold with Zion, the fact that he hasn't played yet, his future, or you know when he's going to play, if he's going to play. C.J. McCollum, the awful start, how they've kind of climbed out of it, still with a you know you know losing record, but can you get in the top ten in the West to play in? Sure, you can. Willie Green, the culture, a lot, just so much we couldn't have predicted. So as we get to the All Star break here with the Pels, where are you at with? Two, two parts. Where are you at with their short-term future? And I'm talking about specifically this season. And where are you at with where they're going to be, you know, next season and the season after? Because you see a team like Memphis that was at the Smoothie King Center earlier this week. Even with John Morant, you see how good they were. You see where they are in the standings. You see how feisty they are. I mean, let's be honest. You can be jealous. There's a lot that Memphis has right now that I think New Orleans would love to have. Yeah, What's crazy is John Moran didn't even play in that game. And then he comes back, plays in the game, drops 44 against the Portland Trailblazers, all of a sudden the 86 Celtics and Josh Hart's Larry Bird. I mean, Josh Hart's dropping 25-plus a game now for Portland, and, and they haven't lost to the trade. And, man, I already had calls this week, Scott, of Portland won the trade, and, you know, the Pels have only won two games since – uh, a one game since C.J. McCollum's trade, and you know, I it, it's difficult, man. I I think you, you still have a very glaring issue on the team that you tried to solve and solve, and C.J. McCollum helps it, but it's not solved. And Scott, unfortunately, in the NBA, it's like having a quarterback and not having one in the NFL. If you don't have a point guard, it, it's and in the Western Conference, you're, you're kind of up, you know, what's great without paddling, dude. And, you know, Devontae Graham struggles this year. And then Alvarado, while you love him to death, against the bigger and better guards in the West that have size on him, there's so much he can do. And that is something that they're going to have to address this offseason. You've got to find a true point guard that, you know, can help you score, can score, can play defense. They just they don't have it, you know. I, and Montez are nice guy and all that stuff. And it's just man, you know that. And I can tell you this week the, the Garrett Temple. What does he have with Willie Green story? Likes to dominate bananas by fans, you know. They why well, can't Trey Murphy get out there? So there's still some growing pains, man. And still some. Stuff. 
I guess what I would say is this. Memphis has had the same coach since Josh gotten there. He was there before Josh. Um, it's primarily been the same team since he's been there, including a couple other draft picks in that same class. So I would say, Scott, the difference is continuity. To, you know, but men, it's on the court together. They know who they are. They created and found their identity three years ago. The Pels are in the midst of doing that, of finding who they are, creating an identity, and still trying to get their main piece on the floor, which is the gargantuan difference between Memphis and New Shaw has played Zion Hatton. So uh, until that happens, it just, you know, it, it's going to be what you see. Some good nights, some bad nights, and it just is where they are right now. So you have Jeff Duncan saying he's hearing Zion's going to play after the All-Star break. You have Christian Clark saying Zion could have a second surgery soon. Uh, all I know is that with respect to both of those guys, I, I, when it comes to Zion, I just believe stuff once it happens. You know, when, when David Griffin uses words like anecdotally because he can't even talk to the guy who is supposed to be the, you know, biggest piece to the franchise and everything else, um, I, you know, everything's hush-hush. What are they trying to hide? Do they even know if they do? Why are they hiding? If they don't, then why don't they know? We could go on and on. We have, but I don't know. For me, I, I have stood on, I don't think he's playing this year. Hopefully I'm wrong. You hear various reports. One says, you know, he could be having another surgery. Don't know if he's going to play this year. You hear another that says he could be back after the All-Star break. If he needs a second surgery, it means the fusion didn't work, right? That's what it means. That's not to say that he doesn't want to play. There's some conspiracy theorists out there that all oh, he's hot-dogging it and he's just trying. I, I don't buy that. I mean, the guy's literally gone under the knife and then had a fusion. I think he wants to play. I generally do. I just don't think his body is letting him. Where are you at with the Zion situation? Has it changed at all? Or are you like me saying, you know what, hopefully we see him next season because it ain't happening this year? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I said this at the very beginning of the season, too, when there was a foot or something like that, and he was, you know, over three bills, man. I mean, he absolutely was closer to four than he was to three, you know, at times. And my thing is, if he wasn't not going to play and at that time when they said, you know, they were ramping him down, I told you, I'm like, I'm going to shut him down. Like, shut him down. Go get him that second surgery. Because even you brought up, you know, the Durant injury, which is similar. He did require a second surgery. Kevin's played since then. So, um, you know, this week, Ryan Windhorst from ESPN. You know, Joel Embiid, very similar. Injury plague start to his career, and Embiid's been an MVP candidate the last two years. So there is hope, and I actually do look at Zion as possibly, hopefully, like Joel Embiid. Immature at first, didn't really put the professionalism it takes in his body, didn't really work on his game, and then something snapped, dude, and now my leader. That guy's an MVP candidate, you know? So... It can happen. It's not over for Zion. But, you know, both parties, and especially him, got to want to do it. And I don't know who's putting it off or if there's fear or if not. But, you know, if I'm sitting here in February, we're almost in March, and I'm not healed, then I'm like, well, let's go get it fixed. Because the longer you wait and eventually do get a surgery, if that's the way that you need to go, 
Clint Scott, the longer he doesn't get into basketball shape and the longer he doesn't get into the gym, quote-unquote, the lab, and work on his game, then you, you have a situation where I'm frustrated about it. And it's not that he's not playing. It's the fact that you essentially had a wasted year, an entire calendar year, where if he can't run, but he can't work on his weight, he can't work on his game, he can't do anything. If you can't run, then how are you going to work on your post game? How are you dribbling and driving with your right hand, not just your left? How are you going to work on dunking again instead of being the layup king? How are you going to work on your defense? Moving laterally, I mean, that's what defense is, being able to move laterally and sprinting to one spot or another. I mean, that's something that no one's brought up. Even if this guy comes back and plays, the way the Pelicans play defense is because they hustle and they run. And to do that defensively, they're planting, they're cutting, they're accelerating, they're stopping on a back foot. I mean, I, I, I don't know why we're protect. Just shut it down. Shut it down. Go get work. I mean, I had a caller say while he's in there, get the works, man, you know. Get uh, get wherever place he's going to give you the, the I don't know, the, the pro special, lipo, gastro, foot surgery, get it all done at once. And just, I'll see you in September. But I, I that guy, like, I, I'm looking at it like this. Everyone's looking at the date for next year. That guy needs to be, like, sweating in a gym by gym, right? Scott, I mean, like, he needs to be working out, doing basketball stuff, just absolutely drenched in sweat by June. Like, that way he has your quote-unquote normal offseason where players get better in two to three months for the next season so he can be ready for September so you don't have minute restrictions. You actually have him ready to go in October. not overweight. He actually can dribble with his right hand and play defense and create a jump shot do any of that if you literally can't play basketball. So that's the thing for me. If he can't play by the All-Star break and which is this weekend and the first game of next Friday, then shut it down. Go wheel him into the place and get surgery and then literally lay out a program for when he gets better, how much weight to lose, what are you doing, and there's no, I'm shipping you to Oregon or you're working out on other supervision. You hire this dude, Aaron Nelson. You put a million dollars in your facility. Then go and hire the best in the world. To, I mean, go get the people that, like, you know, get Hugh Jackman and, you know, what's his name and become Batman and stuff. You know, go get that guy to work on his body and go get the go get Elijah Wan. Go get, I mean, <laughs> get the guy that turned like, Hugh Jackman into Wolverine. Jackman's always been jacked. Yeah. I mean, come on, you know. Right? No, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like you, you, you I mean, you know, like you, you have these people that literally can transform people. Um, they don't get it done. Don't get it done. And, and he has no option. You know, it's simple. You, you put that piece of paper in front of his face for that contract extension. And the second he says, sure, I'll do it, then from here on out, it's my rules. And that's how you have to approach it. But right now they're not. I don't think they're in the control that they want to be in. I can understand maybe some one aspect on the other side that they may not trust it to give them that control. But, I mean, you just can't have it, dude. You can't tell me that an organization that's worth a billion dollars can't a person to help somebody get in shape, get healthy, if the other person's willing to do it as well. Like, hire the best in the world. Get it done. 
for six months. Get it done. If you don't like what we get afterwards, dude, I'll let you walk. But I need six months from you. Full commitment. And I will give you six months full commitment. I'll hire you the best of everything. Now, you ain't got to do nothing. Wake up, somebody hand you breakfast. Wake up, somebody hand you lunch. Wake up, somebody hand you dinner. But you got to do it. You know, go to the gym. Somebody will drive you there. Somebody will pick you up. Somebody will work you out. Somebody will do your rehab. Like, do it, though. You know, enough of this nonsense that you, that you see these two sides doing right now. And it's just it's crazy, man. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Cattengale has been our guest. Final question for you, Gus. Um, looking ahead post-All-Star break, is this team in the top 10 in the West, and where do you see them finishing when the regular season comes to a close? I think 10. I think I do see them in 10, and the main reason is, well, them in Portland are going to be back. Uh, the Lakers are in trouble. Anthony Davis sprained his ankle right, uh, on Wednesday. And he's out, expected to be out two weeks. And Brian Windhorst Thursday morning sitting there saying, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this week, there is a ton of chatter. Rich Paul is the agent for LeBron and AD, my friend. Because it's all about should they trade AD, when should they trade him, and it's the thing that they need to do is trade AD. Um, so I don't know if it was as green as he thought there was going to be. I mean, I was listening to Max Keyshawn and Jay Will on Thursday morning, they're, you know, debating if it's a real championship that AD has had. And that's what I've been saying, man. No one, you know, when you go to an organization like that, you're just another guy that is adding to the banners. But that legacy, that word that he used so much to want to be in, that was created by other people. Rather than creating your own legacy, all you're going to be doing is, oh, you're part of that team on a legacy-filled franchise. And no one ever considers a call of AD a champ, do they? Like, no one talks about that championship, man. Um, so it is very interesting from that perspective because Windhorst then said the Lakers have to decide how much the player LeBron is dealing with knee soreness. That's interesting because they're ninth right now. And if they're going to start sitting LeBron in hopes that they can at least, because in their eyes, as Windhorst is saying, they're going to be ninth or tenth. So they're going to be in a playing game one way, shape, or form. Their goal is to have LeBron healthy for that playing game and then healthy for the playoffs. So if they sit him with no AD, the Lakers aren't going to be winning many games. So it's positioned that the Pels will be in L.A. for a play-in game. The Pels also out of the All-Star break, first two games, are the Lakers and Suns. Chris Paul hurt his hand. He likely won't be available for that series. AD is out. So the Pels will face the Suns and the Lakers without those two guys. They have got to start hot off of it. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I still think they got a shot at the 10, but again, I, I don't think anybody envisioned the Portland Trailblazers becoming, as Todd told me, the 86 Celtics and Josh Hart, now Larry Bird. <laughs> Gus Gangio, on that note, man, we're going to let you run. Good stuff. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter if you're not already uh, at GCAT underscore 17. Check him out on ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans weekdays with the sports hangover noon to three. Guys, have a great weekend, man. Enjoy some college baseball. Um, enjoy, well, I'd say enjoy the weather. It's so up and down at this point. Enjoy life, man. Enjoy time with the fam. All the best, brother. Always good catching up, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you, buddy. All right, good stuff with Gus as always. Coming up. 8.15, I will be joined by Louisiana Ragin' Cajun Director of Athletics, Dr. Brian Maggard. 
What's happening with Kusa? What's what's what what is the deal? Legal disputes, will they, won't they? We'll talk a little conference realignment. Cajun baseball season starts tonight. Drew Shiflet will get the start tonight. And a lot of folks that that really wasn't a surprise when they announced the starting lineups yesterday. I think I think some were anticipating Shiflet. Um you know, some people were not anticipating Peyton Havard or or I guess Jeff Wilson maybe starting on Sunday, but the reality is this is going to change. This is going to change. Uh, the, the the odds of this being your Friday, Saturday, Sunday guy come conference play mid-season into the season, it, it's rare. It's I'm not saying it's never happened before, but it's rare. You're going to see a lot of different players this weekend. A lot of depth in the outfield. I mean, we're here, man. Seventh inning stretch tonight. Put me in coach. Cajun baseball is going down. We'll talk more about that next hour as well. Pell's game last night against the Mavs. Look ahead to what's happening this weekend. We'll talk Cajun hoops. The men's game yesterday. A lot coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Okay.